We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this is a True Faith podcast special. I'm Norman Rayleigh and it's my absolute privilege to be chatting with Rory Smith, um, who is the New York Times UK Chief Football correspondent. I believe your title's um, chief soccer correspondent, but you know we um, we'll, we'll change it to football, given us given us our base in the UK for this. Um, and he's previously worked at the Times. He's also written a really good book um, called Champions League Dreams, alongside our very own Rafael Benitez. Um, it's a book that covers Rafa's six Champions League campaigns at Liverpool. Definitely worth a, a read if you've uh, if you're looking for someone new to get on with. And uh, all in all, Rory's doing for a living something that obviously makes me immediately dislike him um, through nothing other than pure jealousy, basically. Um, but hey, I'm very, very grateful, Rory, for, and thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you. And, no, thanks for having me. And, uh, well, I'll, I'll dive straight into the questions. Um, obviously, working in, in Liverpool with Rafa, um, how, how would he differed from other football people and managers he'd worked with? I suppose I'm asking that because as a Newcastle fan, I, I mean... Robson and Keegan, very unique personalities, very warm, lovable people. But but Rafa's just got this um, this kind of hold over the Newcastle fan base at the moment. I don't know if um, I don't know how you felt about him when you when you worked with him and when he was at Liverpool. Yeah, I really liked him. I was um, yeah, he's he's an, he's an odd one because he's not like you say Bob, Bobby Robson and, and Keegan are both very kind of larger than life. They they were both very kind of warm people. Rafa's not really like that on a personal level. He's not he's not got the same kind of lust for life I guess as, as, as Bobby or, or, or Keegan but he does seem to have this ability to kind of get people on side I don't know whether it's something that he it's, the, it's some sort of magic he casts over the fans it was the same at Liverpool same at, same at Valencia same at Napoli to an extent uh, as it is in Newcastle that in a provincial city in a city with a really strong sense of identity he seems to kind of tap into it I think a lot of that is just he kind of makes himself available to the city not just the club so we've seen in Newcastle that you know supporting the food banks. He's he's been out and met fans. I know he's invited a lot of fan media into the club in a way that isn't kind of normal. It was the same at Liverpool. You know, the, it's it's one thing that's massively forgotten about Benitez's legacy at Liverpool, even beyond the Champions League in 2005. It was him who first alerted everybody to what was happening behind the scenes with the owners, which had kind of gone under the radar until Rafa kicked off. And at the time, he was he was criticised for playing politics, for making trouble, for for not concentrating on uh, on coaching, training and coaching his team, I think was the phrase that he kept using, which is what he'd been told to do. But we know now, in hindsight, obviously, that he was he was doing it because the club was on on the verge, probably, of going bust at one point, and that was that was something that was a message he wanted to get out. 
So I think he, he does really buy into every place he goes to. You know, Monty, his wife, still lives in Liverpool or on the Wirral. His daughters consider, consider themselves Scouts. He, he has become so kind of problematically attached almost to the city of Liverpool in the sense that his family does not want to leave it, which has meant that he's always had to kind of work remotely away from his family, which isn't ideal for anybody. And I think that fans... For all that he is a, a you know a very studious, very scientific, very obsessive man, maybe not as immediately lovable as someone like Keaton or someone like Bobby Robson. I think fans really appreciate that sense that he gets what their club means to them, and I think that's why he has done at, at Liverpool and Newcastle and, and Valencia and Napoli what he's done. And I think that is maybe where he's different is that that buy-in that he gives to, to every place that he ends up. Absolutely, I, I couldn't couldn't agree more with you there. Um, I think we've, I mean, as Newcastle fans, I think we've taken them from day one. Just, I mean, just because it, it was so uh, incredibly unexpected. Uh, we'll we'll go into that obviously um, in, in a bit. Um, but it's interesting that you meant you mentioned the kind of um, the, the the play on politics there. I think. That he's, I think he's an absolutely brilliant politician, uh, Rafa, and I think that if he if he wasn't in football, he would be uh, he would be incredible working for um, for a municipal council because he, he does have that kind of um, that that way of delivering a message that really kind of uh, hits home with a, with a, with a lot of people, and like you see, he taps in. He just he's just tapped into a fan base at Newcastle spectacularly well, and, and there are a lot of similarities between the Newcastle and um, Liverpool fan bases. I think in terms of the region, the city, um, historically, there's a lot in common and. And it's also interesting that you mentioned Napoli and Valencia as well. And again, I suppose these are, to a certain extent, are kind of considered to be historically working class cities in, in their respective countries. And um, I, uh, I mean, for, for me, I mean, I could wax lyrical about them for hours and, I, and, I've, and I've, I've, done so, I've done so regularly. Um, but um, looking back these days at Liverpool, do you, um, I mean, how much of a toll do you think it took on him? And, and, and looking back, do you, think, do, you, do you think that he could have managed the situation differently? Uh, he probably, he probably certainly could have managed it differently. But whether it would have been any better, I'm not sure. I think that I mean, this is this is something I spent five years, you know, having to unpick every little kind of twist and turn in it. I think that there was a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes that made his life really difficult. So the big thing that Liverpool fans would still have against him, I guess, is the attempt in 2008 to sell Alonso and sign Gareth Barry, which sounds stupid until you realise that he. He'd been told there was no money. You know, he didn't have money to spend at all because of what had happened with the ownership. So he looked around his squad and thought, right, I need to strengthen. They'd obviously not won the title the year before he wanted to win the title. And he looked around and thought, right, how can I strengthen? What is my most valuable asset that I can afford to part with? And he identified Alonso, not because he didn't like him as a player, but just because he knew he had a value. And so he thought, well, if I've got to sell somebody, I'll have to sell him. And things like that, I'm sure, I'm sure looking back, Rafa might sort of look around and think, right, there must be somebody else I can try and sell. Uh, maybe I won't try and sign Gareth Barry. But the, in terms of the politics of, of the situation, I think he did what he had to do. And it was, a, it was a desperate situation. And the way it was reported, to be honest, generally, was, was based on misunderstanding, I suppose, maybe an underappreciation of how serious it was, uh, an inability to an extent, and I, I'd be guilty of this as well, to to understand what exactly was at stake. And it was only kind of a couple of years later after Rafa, after Rafa had left that we, we sort of realised actually this is Liverpool potentially going to the wall. This isn't, this is, they don't quite have £25 million to spend on a striker. This is, the club does not have any money left. Um, and I think that, that situation was so severe and so serious that he did what he had to do. He got the message out. 
kind of mobilise the fan base. That doing that is is a is a dangerous game to an extent because it is inherently divisive. There were fans who felt that other fans shouldn't have been protesting during games, that it was it was negatively influencing the team. But I think Benitez felt that it had to be done because what was at stake was so so serious. And he also felt that he was really close. You know, that, that Liverpool team obviously won one Champions League, got to another final, was was constantly in the semis and the quarterfinals. It mounted at least one real title challenge and kind of had another two or three that, that sputtered out a bit in kind of March, February, March, and didn't quite get going. He felt he was really close and what was holding him back was was this kind of chaos behind the scenes and he wanted it sorted out, he wanted it over. And he did what he could to try and to try and fix that. And it didn't work, but that wasn't really through his his fault. He wasn't you know, we all think managers are all powerful, but in that situation, you know this well enough at Newcastle that the manager doesn't always have all of the power that there are things going on that the manager can't control. So, he, he, yeah, he could have managed it differently, but I think what he did was all done crucially with the best of intentions and was, was what needed to be done at the time. And it's just a shame, really, that in that last year, uh, 2009-10, I think, they um, the team kind of collapsed a little bit. They went out of the Champions League. The lead form suffered. And it all had this sort of re- really unhappy ending, whereas, in fact, Benitez's first four or five seasons at Liverpool were, were hugely successful and that's kind of been lost a little bit in the, in, in kind of the way that that, that, that period is, is assessed now and it's a real shame. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that last season where it, it was on paper a, a really kind of, you know, almost mediocre season. I mean, I think they ended up finishing around about seventh, didn't they? Um, it was seventh, yeah. But um, he's... That's not, you know, any any kind of Liverpool fans that I've spoken to, and you know, everything you see in the media, you know, if you look at independent supporters' websites, etc. The 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 general consensus is that he's still very much loved, and there was never any kind of ill will towards him when he left, and nobody seemed to want him want him out of the club. You know, you you get, I suppose, if you look at, you know, you look at Liverpool under Rodgers, they had that great season, and then they kind of struggled the season after. I think they still finished, um, or he got sacked, but um, you know the. They were still in the sort of top eight, but there was a totally different sentiment, I think, at, at that point. And I guess, I, I guess that's down to how how much um, possibly the, the Liverpool fan base took to him when you compare him to someone like um, someone like Brendan Rodgers. And, and, and well, the fact that he won the European Cup helps, obviously. That oh, I, I, I mean, you're always going to have your, your, your you know, he, there's his face on flags on the cop, so the, the, there is a lot of fond memory for him. But and this is something I think we're, we're probably going to touch on relatively soon. I think that's not entirely true. This idea that that Liverpool fans were were kind of unanimously sort of fond of Rafa. There was a that that period. All I remember that last kind of year, two years was there being this incredible divide in the fan base. And to be honest, it's a divide in terms of Liverpool's fan base that has only really gone with Klopp. It was there under Hodgson. Well, it was, no one was divided about whether Hodgson should be sacked or not. Everyone agreed that he should be sacked. But it was certainly there under Kenny. It was there under under Rodgers. This, this real split that all came from Benitez's last sort of 18 months. Because there, there, there was a portion of the fans who wanted him out. There was a portion of the fans that never really took to him and or felt that maybe they could do better and that has now kind of been whitewashed a little bit by history and now you know when he, when he goes back with Newcastle there's a, there's a lovely round of applause and everyone says his name and, and everyone kind of remembers the good times but I guess with any with any divorce there's, there's, there's moments where you're bitter and you're angry and you're kind of you'd rather not see that person again and that was true of Liverpool fans and Benitez or a portion of Liverpool fans and Benitez there, there was on the other side a large section of the fan base that always 
for want of a better word, loved him. That was that remembered what happened in Istanbul. That remembered the you know the Champions League final in Athens. That remembered that 2019. That that really pushed United close for the title in a in a title race actually that is one of the best Premier League title races that is forgotten. Yeah. But the does that mean that was going right until I think April? Those they drew four all with Arsenal in April, and that that was basically what 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 killed it. But they you know they they were in the running, and United were 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 being troubled. Although United finished the season extraordinarily well and I think a lot of fans remember that really 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 happily obviously but at the time because football you know we're all fans and we all get upset if our team isn't doing as well as we think it should be there were fans who felt this is this is the time to go and there were even although I'm not sure they'd admit it there were quite a few fans who thought Roy Hodgson was quite a good appointment <laughs> yeah that's uh that, that's really interesting that you, you've said all that because obviously you know that I suppose what what it kind of shows is that you know as a, as a football fan sometimes you can't you can't especially with social media live in, live in a bit of an echo chamber and um, and this kind of this kind of ties into the um, the the reason that um, we ended up I ended up getting in touch with you it's um, you you put out a tweet and obviously got like a a huge defensive reaction from quite a few Newcastle fans um, that I think took you by surprise slightly and obviously there was there was clearly kind of misinterpretation on on both sides I think um and I suppose what interested me was is that you when Rafa was announced as our manager um I'll give you kind of my take and, and the people that I go at the match with how we how we felt um at the time that he was announced for us after after years of of Alan Pardew who you know he was Pardew was was terribly he had one, he had one really good season where we finished fifth um you know we had that that fantastic forward line of Dembaba, Papi Cici, Hatem Ben Arfa we had Kabai pulling the strings in midfield. Teotia was at the top of his game. Um, we, we had a really good season, and you know you can't you can't take that away from Pardew, regardless of all his faults. He was obviously an important um, an important component in that. You know he was the manager, um, but the rest of the time, you know, it was full of record losing wins, record wins, uh, record sort of um, record losing runs. Sorry, amount of games without scoring goals, losing derby matches. A load of excuses, you know, blaming things like science and the grass being too uh, too long, um, and it was just a, it was just an incredibly negative time. And obviously, a lot of Newcastle fans got kind of the, the, there were articles in the press that that were kind of critical of the, New, of the Newcastle fan base for for saying that we wanted him out. And I suppose to a certain extent, we do feel a sense of vindication in the fact that his, his career has just um, gone on a hugely downward trajectory since. And we then had John Carver, who you know I, I don't even need to. We don't even need to talk about John Carver. Um, his name speaks for itself. And then we had Steve McLaren, and McLaren, you know, he, he, we we all know he had a decent career, but by the time he came to Newcastle, he was a busted flush. It was terrible the way that he, he left Derby, um, and I don't think anyone kind of anyone predicted anything particularly good from McLaren. And then, and again, you count Ashley, and you think, well, he brought in Joe Kinnear as well. So. When Rafa Benitez was announced as Newcastle manager, it, it, the main initial reaction was that this this can't be right. I, I, this is somebody that I followed. Um, I was lucky enough to spend a summer in Valencia many years ago, and um, he was manager at the time. And I've loved him from day one. And that's the kind of reaction that people that I know had had as well. We we just couldn't believe it, and um, to a certain extent, we still can't. Now you put out a tweet saying that you spoke to some Newcastle fans who who maybe weren't too keen. Um, I'd love to, I'd just love to hear about that, really. Well, yeah. So it, the context is really important. So it was in a conversation. Uh, started by Jack Pitbrook, who's a journalist with The Independent, who I'd recommend to everybody, who's a mate of mine, who I think had either been at the, the 2-1 win against Arsenal or had, had watched it, who doesn't have a horse in the race, he's not a Newcastle fan or an Arsenal fan or a Liverpool fan, He um, and he said that you know Arsenal could do worse than thinking about Benitez if Bender leaves this summer, which obviously is not something that Newcastle fans will take kindly to, <laughs> no one likes having their beloved manager suggested for another job. 
but obviously if, if a club like Arsenal came calling, every manager would, would think about it at mm. least. And it was, it was very much, no, there was no information behind it, no sense that Arsenal are looking at Benitez, as far as we all know, Wenger's staying another year anyway. Um, but it was purely and simply, you know, a case to say, Benitez has done a brilliant job at Newcastle on limited resources, that's fair. Um, and if Arsenal were looking for to replace Wenger this summer, there's not the kind of grade A Pep Guardiola candidate out there, the obvious choice who you'd obviously go for this summer uh, out there and available. And Jack was just saying it's odd that, that Benitez hasn't been mentioned given his record and all, all that he's done with Newcastle. So we had a conversation about it, as you do on Twitter. And then, as always happens on Twitter, someone says something that they 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 regret immediately. And um, and I just mentioned that that I've always found it really really interesting because of what happened at Liverpool, because of the way that his reign was was portrayed in the media, that a lot of fans outside Liverpool always seem to have quite a negative view of Rafa Benitez, two-time La Liga champion, European Cup winner, Europa League winner. And we obviously the oh, FA Cup winner, he, he would be very cross with me if I didn't mention that. Um, so th- there's always been this weird kind of sense that Liverpool fans were somehow deluded for thinking Benitez was actually you know, quite a good manager. And we saw it manifest most clearly, obviously, with um, with Chelsea when he took over there, when they hated him. Uh, we saw it with Villa. He was linked with Villa in 2011. There were, there were flags on the whole end saying Rafa Benitez is a fat, a fat Spanish waiter. Dear me. Uh, we, we had it with Everton, which is understandable because of his Liverpool connection, but there was a, a link with Everton at one point and, and Evertonians were, again, and this is different, but Evertonians were kind of of the view that not only would that be a betrayal to have a cop-eye in charge, but it would be a step down because they're Everton and they don't need a manager like Benitez because Benitez is rubbish. And I remember there was a story, uh, it would have been 2013, 2014, and it probably, the story, to be fair, wasn't, wasn't particularly true as far as I know, but there was a story suggesting that Benitez might be in line to, to become Newcastle manager at one point. And I remember speaking to some mates of mine, and this wasn't a sort of scientific survey, and the... <laughs> The tweet that I put out was was poorly phrased, and I'm, I'm more than happy to admit that. And you know, I'm a journalist. If if there is a misunderstanding, it is my fault, and it means I've not expressed myself well enough. But I remember talking distinctly to to a handful of mates of mine who are Newcastle fans. I I trained in Newcastle, funnily enough, so I know plenty know, know plenty of people up there. And the this is kind of casual fans, a couple of, of season ticket holders or former season, season ticket holders now have moved away. But, you know, proper Newcastle fans who were a bit, in, at that time, in 2013-2014, who were a bit sniffy about Benitez, as everybody was, because there was this sense that he he wasn't that good a manager, you know, he got lucky with the European Cup, but actually Steven Gerrard won the European Cup. But if only he'd played proper formations and not rotating and done zonal marking, Liverpool could have achieved so much more. I remember thinking, well, that's interesting that, that Newcastle, that there is this sense in Newcastle that, you know, Benitez isn't necessarily kind of this... It wouldn't be this wondrous sort of dissension on earth if, if Benitez became Newcastle manager. I was really surprised by it because I remember thinking, well, this is Rafa Benitez. He's won the Champions League. And, you know, you, John Carver's has just been your manager. <laughs> the, he's, a, he's definitely a step up. And to be fair, it may have been before Carver. That might be me uh, imposing that. Uh, in hindsight, but anyway, it was re- it really struck me. It, st- it stayed with me as it did with Villa, as it did with Everton. This idea that that Benitez is kind of overlooked by a lot of fans, um, and it may not have been. I was never claiming it was representative of the Newcastle fan base, and never saying that the Newcastle as a whole thought it was above Rafa Benitez. But it did. It did. I will admit, occur to me when when he eventually got the job in 2016 
that the outpouring of, of delight was so obvious. Did you, I, I remember thinking at the time, this is interesting, this is clearly a bit of a shift, that now Newcastle has decided that Rafa Benitez is is the man to have. And there, there, I remember the delight that that there was in the city generally when, when, he, when he arrived. And I remember the, the welcome that he had, speaking to, to kind of his, his closest confidants and them being blown away by how, how popular he was immediately on Newcastle in Newcastle and it struck me as being a little bit of a shift now it may well be that that's not entirely fair and that my mates were not representative at all of any strain of thinking uh, among Newcastle fans and they, they were just doing it to wind me up and that's perfectly possible but I, I do think there is a little bit of revisionism with all fans but particularly with Benitez because there was a time when he wasn't particularly well thought of in Britain in general that he was the manager who got lucky in Istanbul and the there's a story that he that actually Gerard and Carragher gave the team talk in Istanbul and it was actually what they said that won the European Cup because there's this desire among the media and among certain sections of certain certain teams not sure not to give Benitez any credit and obviously I'm biased but but I think that's not fair. I think Benitez deserves huge credit, not only for what happened in Istanbul, but for all the games before that that got them to Istanbul. I think that his his Liverpool teams were among the best of my lifetime. And, you know, he, he delivered trophies, he delivered finals, he kept him in the Champions League. Jürgen Klopp's got Liverpool into the Champions League two years in a row and is being hailed as a genius. Benitez did that for five seasons. They were never knocked in the Champions League under Benitez. So... It, it's always been interesting to me the the way that he's seen by by fans of other teams, and it just it stayed with me when I th- th- those comments from my my Newcastle supporting mates, and they came back to me when there was this great outpouring of love for him when he first arrived, as it struck me as being a, bit, a little bit of a change. But and this is don't get me immortal. I would guess there will be Newcastle fans who, when he was appointed, were a little bit sceptical because that's natural among all fan bases. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, th- those fans are, 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 um, who who were sceptical when he was appointed after um, Steve McLaren. I mean, they need to have a, they need to give their heads a wobble. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, what you say there is fair enough. Um, I mean, I don't obviously I don't for one second believe that football fans are capable of hyperbole and derivationism. I mean, that's an outrageous claim to make. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But uh, no, I mean, so. So I mean, let's look at him now. I mean, you know, I can only I can only talk how I, how I feel about him, um, and, and I I I've, I absolutely I think he's a magnificent manager. I do, I genuinely don't think there's another manager in the Premier League that could have got from the squad what he has this season. Um, so that's my next question. Where you really is, um, how how would you rate what he's done at Newcastle? Um, you know, compared to what what he's done throughout his career, really. Yeah, I think it's 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 up there. I think his, the job he's done has been fantastic. First of all, in the championship, that is a you know, it's a, as you know well enough, it's it's a really difficult league to get out of. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really kind of bespoke league that you have to you have to kind of work your way through. It's different to managing anywhere else because just as it's so intense. I think he did a brilliant job there. I think the strategy of buying players who could get them out of the championship straight away was, was absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, I think it backfired a little bit because he found it much harder to shift players last summer than he was expecting. I think he thought that there'd be a natural market for, for certain players who would then drop back into the championship and teams trying to get promotion would think those players know how to get promoted, we'll take them. And that, that was the, the slight drawback with it. But the job he's done this season has been brilliant and in really difficult circumstances, you, you know better than I do that the way that the, the summer went and the way that January went without getting any of the, the, of the majority of reinforcements that, it, that he wanted. I think there's been times where he's been shaking his head at, at the ownership and thinking that, that the situation is 
long-term untenable. And in 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 the past, that those thoughts have, have hampered Rafa a little bit. There's an argument that he produces his best managing when he has to get inventive with what's at his disposal. Mm. I think there's some truth in that. But at the same time, he can get distracted by by all the chaos going on around him. And I mean, at Real Madrid, that was the that was the thing that kind of that did for him eventually was the fact that he just couldn't deal with having to manage upwards as as well as manage downwards, oh. and he's just found it too difficult. And I think he's done really well to kind of put that one out of his mind with Ashley and deal with with the ridiculous way that that Ashley runs the club, and to get them not only safe. I think he would have taken seventeenth this season to be honest with the squad that they've had, but. Not only safe, but you know, potentially a top half finish. Still five games to go. It's a, it's a reasonable run, isn't it, for Newcastle? It's not too bad. Yeah. Um, he's not the sort of manager I think he'll let them switch off because they're they're pretty much safe. He'll he'll want to keep pushing them, and I'm sure the players will know that in the summer there will be money to spend purely and simply. You'd hope purely and simply because of the TV rights that he will get a chance to strengthen a, a little bit. So the players should all be kind of playing for their positions as well to an extent. So if they have a strong finish to the season, they could finish top ten. And for a squad, and I mean this without someone who is a, a well-wisher to Newcastle and particularly to Benitez, the, although I should stay, I'm a well-wisher to Newcastle before Benitez arrived because I have a lot of mates who are Newcastle fans. Aye. But the, um, the, and also I quite like St James's Park, the, I like the fact that it looks like there's, there's one stand that's, that's grown too much and all <laughs> kind of a little bit frightened of it. The, um, the, the squad he's got, I think, is probably worse than Brighton's. I think it might be on a par with Huddersfield's. Uh, it's certainly worse than teams like Palace and, and West Ham, on paper anyway. And for them to finish above all those teams and potentially above Everton is is absolutely astonishing. I wouldn't make him manager of the year for the Premier League because I think I think you'd have to look at Sean Dyche. But he'd be a close second, probably with Guardiola, who, as we, we all know, has had a reasonably good season. Uh, so the... Yeah, the job he's done has been... It shows how important managers are. It shows the difference that a good manager can make. I remember at the start of the season, people saying, you know, Rafa could be worth, you know, 10 points to Newcastle. I think that might be underplaying it. I think he, he's probably been worth 15, 20, just, just him alone. And he has done an absolutely magnificent job. And I'm really pleased for him because when he... Just before we took I went to see him in Liverpool. It was after he'd been sat by Real. We sat and had a cup of coffee underneath his lawyer's office. And... I think he wanted partly Rafa likes talking, and he he wanted to to bemoan what had happened at Real Madrid and explain it and and start to maybe inform the way that that I and another colleague of mine who was there as well wrote about his time at Real Madrid. And we after a while we started talking about what jobs he might be able to get in England, and the one that I said would come up in the summer was Southampton. And he sort of he, he sort of looked a little bit askance at me, not not dismissive, but he said, "Oh, Southampton." And I said, "Yeah, I know he's quite far from Liverpool, so it's difficult for you because of Monty obviously being in, in on Merseyside." He went, "No," it's, and he could tell he kind of thought they're not they're not a big club. And I was a bit like, "Well, yeah, but they're not they're not a big club, Southampton, but they're you know they're a really well run club. They're you know they've got a good youth system. There's money there. It's it's set up for success." And the thing is with Southampton, you finish seventh to triumph. And he went, mm, it, wasn't, it obviously wasn't sold. And the, the name he kept coming back to was Newcastle. And at the time, and this, again, won't make me popular, I sort of said, well, the thing is, Rafa, Newcastle is massive. It's a massive club. But look at the owner. It's not, it's not a place where you can have any success. And nothing I said, everything I said was absolutely correct. Because Mike Cassidy is a really bad owner of a football club. But the, nothing I said dissuaded him. And he was absolutely, this would be, 
January, I guess. He was absolutely fixated on Newcastle. And it's really good that his judgment has been borne out because what he sees in Newcastle is not what Newcastle is or what Newcastle has been since after took over. It's what Newcastle should be. And I think for someone who's Spanish, who's not got any connection before he took, took the job to the city, to see that is really, really impressive. And I'm really pleased that it's worked out for him and that he's been able to start turning Newcastle into what it should be. And the question now for Mike Ashley is whether he will allow him to continue to do that or whether there'll be more nonsense this summer, whether money doesn't appear and, you know, the, and promises are broken. And it would be a real shame if that happens because does Benitez and Newcastle, to be honest, deserve better. Well, you know what, Rory? I mean, t- to be honest with you, you've, the, that that little speech you've given there. I mean, I'm, I'm on the verge of tears. Um, the the, <laughs> the, the, the hairs, the hairs. I'm, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding you. The hairs stood up on my arms there when you mentioned him talking about Newcastle before he'd even, um, you know, months before he'd even got the job. That's that's fa- that's so that's just fantastic. He obviously is a is a is a Newcastle fan who. Um, who, who loves who loves what he's done, but I suppose that you alluded to it there. Obviously, the the financial aspect of working on a Mike Ashley, and um, the I suppose one of the fears that I've got, and possibly other Newcastle fans have got, definitely definitely friends that I've spoken with, is that you know if he's not back this summer, and I'm not talking, none of us are talking about you know ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, Rafa himself will know that I imagine. Um, we're just talking about what could be considered a, a reasonable amount of money to to push a team on to the next level in the Premier League. Um, and given that he's Given that he's 58 as well, and, I, and I'm guessing he's an ambitious man, I mean, you'll know better than I do, and he still sees himself as being able to win trophies. If he's not given that back, and I suppose, do, do you do you fear for 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 Newcastle, for Newcastle as a fan base? Do you fear, do you fear that he may, he may just say, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore? I th- yeah, I mean, a little bit, yeah. I think that there is there is a possibility. It depends what, what Ashley says. And look, I won't pretend that I've spoken to Rafa about this recently, so I don't know what his latest thoughts are on mm-hmm. it. It... it he goes up and down a little bit with it, but it certainly has done in the past. Um, I think if Ashley sat down and said, look, none of that money is, you know, the 120, 130 million they'll get for finishing 10th or 11th in the Premier League. None of that coming to you, you're going to get this, that, you know, you've got to sell to buy or whatever. I think that that might be, it depends a little bit on, on what else is available, I suppose. That's the only other thing. If he, he won't, I don't think he'd walk away from Newcastle to not get another job. I think he wants the work. I think he's had enough time. Uh, not working in his career that he he knows he wants to work. I think Monty definitely doesn't want him to be around every day talking to her about football because it'd be really annoying. The um, the I think you know so he won't he won't walk out with nothing to go to. But I I do think that if Ashley turns around and says it's sell to buy again, you know we're we're cutting our cloth accordingly, blah blah blah. Rafa might look at that and think, well look you're not you're not invested in this as I am because he will know that there is a lot of money coming for the Premier League TV rights that there is sponsorship money the season ticket money you know there's lots there's millions and hundreds of millions of pounds that will come to Newcastle this summer because of what he's done and he will feel that some of that should come to him to help strengthen the team to help finish I don't know 8th next year rather than 10th than uh, to maybe push for 7th and, and the outside shot of a European place because that's what he wants to do that's where he thinks Newcastle should be so if Ashley turns around and says there's no money at all, it's sell to buy, I think there is there is a scenario in which Rafa could think, right, this this can't work anymore, I've done all I can. And I think to an extent he'd be justified in doing that. Absolutely. But but I also think he'd he'd do it would do it with a really heavy heart because although he still without question thinks he's capable of managing Manchester City or Arsenal or, or whoever or PSG or whatever, I think that he knows 
that Newcastle, and this is this, it doesn't sound like a compliment, but he's trying to meant as one. Well. Newcastle is the biggest job he can get at the moment in his in his kind of estimation. I don't think he doesn't want to work abroad. He wants to work in England, um, and there is there is you know obviously City won't come up, Liverpool won't come up, uh, Chelsea. I think he's probably accepted. Isn't they're not going to go, but going to go through that again. Um, he obviously wouldn't manage Manchester United. Uh, Tottenham won't come up. That leaves Arsenal. We think Wenger's going to stay. I think he will probably look at it and think, coolly, Newcastle is is where, where is the best place for me at the moment. But if Ashley does change the goalpost, if it's another summer of frustration, yeah, at 58, 59, you wonder if he might start looking elsewhere. But it depends on Ashley. Because if Ashley comes to him and says, look, as you, and as you say, I don't think he expects to be told you've got a £200 million war chest, go and sign Neymar. I think he wants to be told there's enough there's enough money there to do what you want to shape the squad, to put a few gaps, to fill a few holes. Maybe to do Bravka and Kennedy on, on permanent deals rather mm-hmm. than on loan, just to make Newcastle competitive again in the Premier League, so that it's not another season where they have to worry about relegation and Rafa can start to look forward. If Ashley does that, I think everything will be fine. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't couldn't agree with more with you, and that's I mean that is certainly I think the yeah, the consensus among many Newcastle fans. You know, I mean to the extent where if. If Ashley kind of pulled another fast one on him this summer, I don't, th- I don't think there's one fan out there who would, um, who, who wouldn't understand if he just went, you know what, hands up, I'm done. But you make a very good point, and I think you're absolutely correct in saying that. If he's, if Rafa's staying in England, then you know Newcastle is. I, when you take away the sort of top four or five, who it's, where it's, where it's not going to happen. Um, it is it probably is the, the, the biggest and best job he can get in this country. And um, well, yeah, it's, and it's, this it's goes an- back to what I said before that, that I think. I think Benitez should be in contention. I'm not trying to shift Newcastle's manager, but I think he should be in contention for those those five six jobs when they come up. And it, it's a, and this is where the original tw- original tweet came from. It intrigues me that there is a sense that that he's not good enough for them. I don't understand what what under what criteria he could not be good enough. That in that the course of that Twitter conversation, someone mentioned the idea that that Arsenal, if they're to replace Wenger, need to go for someone of a higher calibre and you think we well, look around Europe and you think well who's got a better CV who is provably demonstrably better better at managing football teams than Rafa Benitez you're talking about people like Thomas Tuchel who's young and that, that is, a, is a virtue and a value in itself but he's not won a European Cup he's not, not won Spanish titles he's not you know he's not managed Liverpool and Real Madrid and Napoli There's, his CV is bizarrely overlooked and it's I guess for Newcastle that's probably a good thing oh. it, it makes it more likely that he will he will think, well, this is this is the best place for me to be. I've got everything I want, and as long as Ashley can provide some money for him, I don't see, I don't see why that would change. Uh, well, th- that's yeah, that's that's um, that's like, that's exactly how I feel. So, so it's really good to hear. Um, I mean, that that kind of leads on to another question. We mentioned you mentioned Thomas Tuchel there. Um, I, I was going to ask you uh, in your in your. In your job, um, obviously, you, you'll have a, a wealth of knowledge about up, up, upcoming coaches. I imagine is there is there anyone um, just to, just to satisfy my own curiosity? Is there anyone working in Europe at the moment or in Britain that you think could be you know possibly the the next kind of next big thing in the in the world of football management? It's difficult. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, did you send me you very kindly sent me sent me that question before, and and um, I've been trying to wrap my brains a little bit to try and sound clever. It's hard because manage, managers like players. It's all about the context. So you'll get certain managers who look really good in at certain teams, and then go somewhere else and fail. And everyone says, oh, clearly it was all an illusion. They're not a very good manager. They get written off. But it's, it's often because of you know they don't have the right profile of squad. They don't have the the right support. They, they've got to work within a different structure or whatever. I think I think it'd be nice to see Sean Dyche and Eddie Howe get get 
jobs where they can maybe expand their repertoire a little bit. I thought something like Leicester or Everton would have been really good for either of them. Um, on the continent, Sergio Conceição, who looks like he's going to win the title with Porto, he's got the, the kind of trajectory that makes you think, yeah, there's something there. I think uh, Philip Koku's done a really good job at PSV Eindhoven. Uh, in Italy, they really like Simone Inzaghi. Juventus were, I think Simone Inzaghi might well get the Juventus job if Allegri goes to Chelsea or Arsenal. Um, so he'd probably be the next the next one there. I think Di Francesco, who's got Roma to a Champions League semi-final, that's a real hit to the choice, isn't it? The guy in the Champions League semi-final. <laughs> he must be quite a good manager. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's done a really good job. Um, and obviously in Germany, there's a million of them. There's Tedesco at Schalke, there's Nagelsmann at, at Hoffenheim, Hasselhuttl at Leipzig. There's a whole kind of school coming out of Germany that I think is quite exciting. Um, there's, always, there's always a few. There's always people that you look at and think they're clearly... The next big thing, the, the, Marco Rosa, who's the guy who's got RB Salzburg to the Europa League semi-final, is is another one who people speak really highly of. Um, there's 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 always there's always six, seven, eight who kind of you're conscious of as being potentially the next big thing. But the thing is, same with players, you don't know whether the next move the next move might be the wrong move, and that can with a manager that can be fatal. If one but one misstep, I mean, and to an extent, Rafa knows that, and he. If he has any regrets, he's not really the sort of man who would admits to regret. But if he does have, does have one, it'll be the fact that he took the Inter job when he took the Inter job because it was clearly a stupid thing to do. He was going into a team that had just won the treble. So you, can't, you can't exceed expectations from a team that's just won the treble. Uh, having worked under Mourinho, who has a, an ability to drain all of the energy and appetite out of his players. Mm-hmm. That's how he works. And that's fine for, for Jose. He's, that's why he's so successful. But he does tend to leave kind of withered husks of players rather than a young, dynamic group hoping to, to achieve more. Um, and also Rafa, I think, was exhausted by what had happened at Liverpool and needed some time off. So if you take one misstep as a manager, that kind of, that kind of does you. And I think with, with all of those people like Jose Sao and, and Inzaghi and, and even Nagelsmann at Hoffenheim, it's if they make the wrong choice, that could well be them done as it's such a ruthless business. But they'd be the names that you'd look at at the moment and think they may be worth keeping an eye on. Absolutely, I. I mean, um, well, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll end this soon because I'm I'm aware that I'm taking up a lot of your time, Rory. But uh, just a couple more questions for you. Um, I was going I was going to ask you about the sort of um, the the merry-go-round of um, you know British managers who just seem to fall into. Into jobs despite having you know pretty appalling track records for the last few years, and that kind of that kind of ties into the the up and coming coaches. You know, there's a there's almost a you know let's let's take a look at Stoke or let's take a look at West Ham, let's take a look at Southampton. It's it's almost like they've I mean even Everton to a certain extent with Allardyce in, in Palace last season with Allardyce. There's this kind of do you feel that in, in British football um, or English football specifically that some clubs are just they're just so fearful. So fearful of taking a chance on a on a kind of younger and maybe semi unknown coach. Yeah, that's why you, you do get people like Hughes and Lambert etc. picking up jobs despite the fact that they've, they've achieved nothing of note. Yeah, definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt, there's a there's a, a fear of the unknown. There's a belief that if you've done it before, you can do it again, even if that experience is kind of battling relegation. There's there's a desire, I think, to find like a, a, a plug-in coach or someone who you can sort of draft in and who will immediately know the ropes and doesn't have a learning curve. But I think really encouragingly, and I never like to see people out of work, but really encouragingly this season, I think that's starting to change because Allardyce is, is hated at Everton. The fans don't like him. If they give him another year, con- another year of his contract to let him see out the 18 months, I think they'll be kind of not far off mutiny at Goodison Park. 
Uh, they've had to deal, by the way, with a lot of what Newcastle are used to hearing, which is, what do you expect? Mm-hmm. I think the answer in both Everton and Newcastle's case is not to be treated like idiots. That's the basic the basic answer, what the football fans expect of their club, their manager not to treat them like they don't deserve anything better. Um, but you've seen Hughes might get relegated, Stoke might go down with, with Lambert, but obviously having had Hughes, West Brom have managed to see off both Tony Pulis and Alan Pardew, which, which should really get them some sort of medal of honour. Um, <laughs> And I think what we're starting to see is a bit of a shift where, where maybe we're... These managers have all had some successes. As you say, Pardew had a great year at, at Newcastle. He did a good job uh, elsewhere as well, but kind of briefly. Um, you've got Pulis, Pulis you, can't, you, can't, you, can, you can question his style, but not his record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's possible that Middlesbrough will come up and they may do so with, with Cardiff under Neil Warnock. But I think we're seeing that that generation of managers seem to have been overtaken by others I think that's fair to say people like Eddie Howe people like David David Wagner at Huddersfield Chris Hewton who is similar in age but maybe younger in outlook than people like Pardew Um, they are more progressive managers I think of finding finding their feet in the Premier League now Carvalhal even at at Swansea Um, and I think that's really encouraging it's not to say that those managers will never work again but it maybe is a little bit of a warning shot to them that they have to keep up you can't just say I've been a manager for 15 years. I know what I'm doing anymore. It doesn't work. You have to keep up with tactical trends, with you know data stuff, with nutrition, with sports science, with conditioning. Football keeps moving, and if, if you just sit, if you sit there and say, "This is who I am. This is what I do. I know what I'm doing. It's worked for me before," you will get found out. And I think that's what this season has proved to English football. And English football is really, really good at not listening to lessons. But I think, I just get the sense that maybe this is one that it will take heed of. And we might see, you know, two or three coaches who come up from the Championship or who get jobs in the Premier League next year who are a little bit younger, a little bit more forward-thinking, a little bit more modern. And that would be really, really, really welcome. Yeah, very, very encouraging to hear that. Um, OK, then two quick questions for you. i tell you what, give me, give me one word on this one. Um, I didn't send you this question, but give me one word. John Joe Shelby, Russia, 2018, yes or no? Yes. Oh, good man. Good man. Um, Just not. I mean, Shelby, Shelby, you, you, you know Shelby better than I do, but you know, you, he, there's half a chance that he'll get sent off 17 minutes in. But I don't see why him and Lasell haven't got any recognition when others have. I, just don't, I don't get it. Uh, uh, it's interesting because as, as a Newcastle fan, um, I am genuinely not bothered. In fact, I would be quite pleased deep down if, if Nathan went the World Cup on a, on a purely selfish level because it means that they're going to yeah. be you know fighting fit for us. But at the same time, for them, it would be it would just be huge for them. And and Shelby, his disciplinary record since Christmas has been absolutely incredible. I think he's been booked once. He's really he's really bored into what's happening. So I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you've um, you've got positive words from there. And finally. Uh, Rory, um, any particular favourite story you've got from uh, Rafa in meetings with him? Anything that you could you could share? It's a tough, a tough one. That obviously I don't necessarily want to, to break confidences. Uh-huh. Um, he, uh, I tell you what, the, the the best the best way of summing up Rafa is that when I so I I spent about four months writing the book with him, and the way we did it was to um, I saw him I don't know ten, twelve times over the course of those four months. We'd sit down, have a meal. Um, it's always the same thing. He always eats spaghetti carbonara. <laughs> the um, the we'd eat and he would he would talk. All managers like talking, and it's a really weird experience because you sit down with any manager and they they, they expect people to listen to them. Um, I've got some cracking stories about Pardew. I really really should be able to tell you those, but never mind. Um, the 
so we'd, we'd sit and talk, and I'd write it down, record it, transcribe it, and then try and put it into into Rafa's um, into Rafa's voice. Does he want a, an autobiography like that? He wants it to sound like him, not like me. So it, I found it was the first book I'd ever done. It was um, I found it really really hard, but in the end, I was really proud of it. I was just you know it was a lot of work, and he's someone that I've always admired. Uh, I've, I've probably given away my club allegiance in the course of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, this podcast so it, you know he means a lot to me as a as a, as a football figure and um yeah these are the dead chuffed really happy anyway so book comes out in the in the hardback and the next time i think i, think I went to see rafa for um for for a coffee or something just to sort of say thank you for all his time and for, for his effort um and he you know he'd come back to me with with suggestions and with notes he'd read everything he'd, he'd gone through it really detailed as, as you'd expect and he'd, he'd signed the copy for me it was really nice uh, and he'd even he'd, I think he thanked me in his in his acknowledgements, which is really nice as well. That not not everybody does that for ghostwriters. But anyway, the, the inscription just said something along the lines of, "I've got it somewhere." Dear Rory, thank you for all your work. It's quite a good book. Could be better. <laughs> uh, which is the most Rafa thing. And it was a, 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 a private joke. Just a lot of the theme of the book is Rafa's kind of endless perfectionism. Um, and he said it to me since that that if he'd written a book, it would have been better, but he couldn't. He 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 didn't have time to write a book, and that is Rafa through and through. That he he is. You hear players talk about how he's not warm. I find him really warm, Rafa, but it's a specific type of warmness, and you have to kind of know how to interpret it. So I took that as a compliment that he he wants. He wants me to keep improving, which is basically Rafa's whole approach to life. Absolutely, and you know what? You can see it. You can see it at the end of Newcastle matches. We've every time the team wins a game, the first thing he does is he goes and starts talking to a player on the pitch, and you, you basically you can see that he's saying to them, "Yeah, but that was good, but you should have done this." Um, and this, is, this, is a, this is the thing, and I'm, I, this is now me taking up too much of your time. This is the thing about Benitez. So Guardiola does that to Nathan Redmond from Man City this year, and everyone's. Some people say you shouldn't do that; it's out of order. But lots of people say that's how passionate. Pep Guardiola is about improving every player, not just his own players. He does it to his own players as well. After every Man City game, he's on the pitch talking to them. And he is not, he's not saying, you've done really well, you're the best player in the world. He's saying, in that situation, if you just cut inside, then it would have been better. Guardiola does that and he's hailed the genius. Benitez does it and he's told he's cold and standoffish uh, and obsessive. And that is not fair. Absolutely. Absolutely, Rory. Um, and I tell you what, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I, re- I really appreciate it. Um, we... I mean, I'm probably going to um, try and persuade you to do a podcast b- purely based on um, on Alan Pardew's stories because that would just be incredible. But uh, <laughs> that would be really good, actually. Uh, well, uh, that, that'll definitely be something I'm going to talk to you about. But thanks ever so much for that. Massively appreciate it. And um, aye, um, thanks and, and all the best. No, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.